There are other worlds, you know. Worlds by day, worlds by night, worlds that fill your dreams to the brim with fright. They build you up, they knock you down, they make you scream, grin, and frown. But why not step outside and close the door to feel the heat on the cold dance floor of this serious place? On this serious earth. This serious dimension. This negative void. Welcome, listeners. Welcome to the Red Dimension, an Earth out of phase with yours, similar in many ways but different in many more. This is where our story begins. Come fly with me in the sky of the green. And let us look down and scream, stare, grin and glare at this beautiful nightmare. This space gray cabaret. Welcome to the Dark Pale Perspective. Roxos. The first thing the senator saw when the starship began to phase through was the color of the sun. The red sun. To her, that was the color of safety. It meant they had arrived. She was far from her home now, far enough that they may never think to look for her here. She began shaking as the memories of the raid on her family quarters back home flashed into her mind. She would never see her family again, never see her planet again, because of what she knew, what she had discovered. The nightmares that came with that knowledge brought tears to her eyes, and she brought a hand up to touch the deep cut on her face. The sword that had made that cut used to belong to a former guard of hers, Tola, Garrick Tola, a humanoid of the planet known as Nomanissa. A planet of warriors, kings and queens. A planet of honor, an honor that he had betrayed. He had turned on her and drawn his sword, like everyone else had, like her own family had. They had decided to switch sides halfway through a raid on their own homestead, siding with the invading forces when they came to the realization it was her or them. Tola, at least, was dead now, and as she pictured his face, she felt the hand on her shoulder. Hey! She turned to see the face of Garrick Tola's killer. The face of her savior. Well, one of them. She smiled as she wiped her eyes, working through the pain, knowing she didn't need to. Not anymore. But she still had some fight left in her. They were planet-side now, behind the red curtain, and were beginning their descent. We're here, uh, ma'am. Thank you, Captain, Senator Braxos said as she stood up. Her purple-tinged skin was still slightly smoke-blackened, and her long, black-and-green wavy hair was a disaster. But she was alive, free to publicize the secret that she had learned, a secret that could and would tear down worlds. Is there anything I can get for you? asked the Captain as he adjusted his battle-hardened forearm gauntlets, gearing up for the possible cold reception down below. This planet was safe for the senator. She had done nothing wrong, but the captain and his team would be in for more than a black mark on their already blemished records. The mission to rescue the senator back on her home planet of Croesus, out in the far reaches of the Siphon Sector, was completely unsanctioned, in the eyes of the High Council, but apparently necessary according to the shot-caller of their little group. The humanoid, devilish father figure that the captain answered to, that they all answered to, 
because they didn't have any other choice. Senator Braxel shook her head. No, thank you. I'm just going to freshen up. I hear your high counselor somewhat... Terrifying, came a voice from behind Braxos. She jumped and turned. Oh, um, that wasn't the word that I was going to use. Well, it's the word that I would use, ma'am, the man said. The second member of the team, the doctor, the man with the dark pale eyes. Well, they all had dark pale eyes, but this man had the skin pigmentation to match. It suited him, although it was slightly terrifying when he smiled. A smile that would show silver-plated teeth and purple gums and a forked tongue. Braxos remembered thinking that it must work wonders during interrogations. When his mouth was closed, he looked like a normal humanoid, but open. It was almost like looking into the soul of a reptilian life form. And watching him fight was an unexpected sight as well, seen as he was dressed in a black, figure-hugging casual suit and accompanying three-quarter length tailcoat, juxtaposed to the captain, who was wearing tactical battle armor, along with a third member of the team, the commander, the mechanic, another humanoid that the senator hadn't seen since the battle back on Croesus. Braxos composed herself. In that case, I better change. Do I have time? There are some clothes in your quarters. My friend has a good eye. He nodded at the doctor. I have more than one good eye, Captain. More than two, the captain said, smiling. The senator made her way to the back of the ship, leaving the two men still staring at each other. They were still smiling. The doctor's smile wider than the captain's, but his disappeared when the doctor heard the telltale metallic, whining noise of the doors to Senator Braxos' quarters closing. Suck up, said the doctor, taking a seat at the round table that sat in the corner of the main bridge. How about shut up, snapped the captain. I'm sticking with suck. <laughs> you suck. You suck, ma'am. Seriously? said the doctor. Have you developed a soft spot for this disgraced politician? This woman who is a pariah to her people? I've seen you body slam your own mother out of a window, but traitors turn you on. You're so backwards. That was because the building was rigged to blow. I went out of the window with my mother with a parachute. I didn't just let her fall to her death. You would have done the same for your mother. Don't count on it, mon capitaine. Yeah, well, you're just ungrateful. Yeah? And your trousers are undone. What? The captain looked down. They weren't. The doctor began to laugh. <laughs> you're all so gullible. That's why you need to not buy into the senator's I'll never see my planet again song and dance. She collapsed her entire government and was responsible indirectly for thousands of deaths riots and ruined lives that went global. And it took time, Captain. She knew what she was doing, and I think she knows what she's doing now. You think it's a trap? I know it's a trap. You read her? I thought you couldn't read Crozians. I may not be able to read them, but I know them. I've spent the most time with them in my solo days. That's why the big man assigned me to this mission. That never was. I asked for you to be assigned. You miss me. You're good in the field. At what? Milking cows? You know what I mean. You've had good training. What I do know is that you like to relish any excuse to use militaristic expressions. With all that hoo-ha juice they stuffed into that big head of yours. <laughs> you want to talk about hoo-ha juice? God, no. That's what I just said. What about you? What about me? You're... Juicier than I am. Doctor. Did you really just say that? I'm juicier than you. You are. Look, Cap. You're the fighter out of the two of us. You're the one with the unbreakable bones, the hyper-agility, and the heightened strength. Not to mention the gravelly voice. You're a guy that doesn't take fall damage and gets shot at all the time. We both have hyper-agility, and we both get shot at all the time. Yeah, all thanks to you. You can take it. I have to hide in a cupboard. 
When the guns are empty, though. Uh, when the guns are empty, you jump out with your snake face and tear off limbs and heads and stuff. My snake face? You do have a questionable snake face. A questionable snake face, as opposed to a trustworthy snake face. Look, it wouldn't hurt to look less like a pale demon with knives now and again. Like at parties and stuff. The suit balances it out a bit, but you can do better. You can do that face-shifting thing you do. That face-shifting thing is difficult to keep up when you're attempting to also be nice to people. Then grow a beard or something. Oh, no boy. I ain't taking any more hairy leaves out of your book. I'm not ashamed of my occasionally questionable and potentially trustworthy snake face. The captain sighed. There it is. That's it. Right there. What? You were the big man's second attempt. They gave more to you than they stripped away. You will always have that over me. Who you are doesn't suck. Never say always, Cap. You can never know all the ways. That can't possibly be as poignant as it sounded. I know I'm still not able to read you, but I think I'm the problem. You can read and connect with most sentient lifeforms in the galaxy, Doctor. It's not you, the captain said. It's me. <laughs> Are we really that cliché? I think we just might be. Huh. I think I'm alright with that. It means we're still somewhat human. The trans-dimensional clichés. On the phase of possible oblivion. The wheel turns. Nothing is ever new. That was when the ship passed through the planet's atmosphere, causing slight turbulence as it always did, and the bird's eye view of Northside Central appeared to greet them. The High Council's gonna kill us. That's also nothing new. I just know that the boss is going to claim he knew nothing about this and will be put back in stasis again until the boss decides to wake us up and commend us in private. Again. Can you not do one of your mind thingies? Mind thingies? I still don't know the proper words for your whole deal. After all this time, the doctor said, making the captain shrug. I'll do my best. But you do the talking. They don't like you very much. They hate me. Fine. Anyway, I have a feeling we won't be put in stasis. Why? I can sense a planet-wide unease. More so than when we left. These are dark days, my friend. How long have we been gone? Around eight zero days. Everyone probably misses us. No. The doctor paused. It's more than that. It's almost as if the planet is bracing itself. Premonition, the captain said. That's the word. The High Council's web is moving. Tell pilot mans prepare for a possible air escort. They'll probably be coming in hot. What? I thought nobody knew we had even left. Eight zero days, someone noticed something. We should have taken a different ship. And out of all of the people in the faction, they're going to notice that we're gone? We're special, Captain. Because we belong to him, not to the High Council. Because he doesn't. He's an outsider. The outsider. Remember? And you know how the High Council feels about him. They're constantly breathing down his neck. I wouldn't be surprised if they fired a warning shot. There was a sudden impact on the left wing of the ship, causing turbulence that somewhat threw the Doctor and the Captain opposite ways, causing them to hit the opposing walls, backs first, and landing on the ground with a crash, the Captain taking out the round table on his way down, splitting it in half with his weight. We've got company, came the voice of the pilot, the mechanic. Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, um, got it, the Doctor said, sarcastically, getting to his feet. God damn it, cursed the Captain, rushing into the cockpit to join the mechanic. The doctor dusted himself down as the ship came to a halt, taking the warning shot seriously. He stared out of the hull window. The green skies and the bird's-eye views of red oceans flew past his vision, and the doctor felt himself becoming one with the elements, as he did with every world he visited, but none more than the one he called home. Inwardly, he walked the balance of the nexus of the forge, 
a nexus that strengthened and purified his link to the axis. The axis of all things. You done yet? The captain said, back now, shaking the doctor impatiently. I'm just plugging in, my dear, with zeal and passion, as always. I am not looking forward to this. We're gonna get our asses kicked. This was a bad idea. That is so not zen. I've got no time to be zen. Wait here. I'm gonna check out the... The doctor raised his eyebrows as the captain realized his mistake. Check on the senator. Give her a kiss from me. Who would want to kiss you? As the captain walked away, the doctor began to giggle. <laughs> oh, Cap, you have no idea. The mechanic, as everyone called him, although he preferred commander, as that was his rank, gently guided the beloved crescent-shaped scimitar shuttle between the security structures either side of the main northern cloud gate. It was a ship that could hold a few passengers comfortably in a modest cargo and pack a huge unexpected punch in the battlefield, as the energy that powered the hyperdrive and the weapon systems was new and experimental, and the targeting system, designed and built by the mechanic himself, was state-of-the-art. The mechanic was proud of his little space-capable speedster. She hadn't let them down thus far, after years of decimating battles and long-distance journeys, which is why it really angered him when military escorts fire warning shots that leave a mark. His eyes were shifting angrily from side to side, making eye contact with both the mass pilots who flanked the scimitar on both sides. He had a feeling that there would be more above and below, just in case he tried anything. He wasn't going to. They had precious cargo on board. A Crozian senator. That's probably why the High Council had sent more than their usual single ship escort. The captain and the doctor were always getting disciplined by the High Council. The High Council didn't trust them and saw them as reckless. They had a point. The mechanic had just played a huge part in the unsanctioned extraction of a foreign official outside of the High Council's galactic jurisdiction. Not only that, but he believed that their little rescue mission may have been noisy enough to spark a civil war back on Croesus, which would mean more grief for the group. Their official designation was the Red Team, a special division of the faction that helped run the High Council's military operations. It was special because every member of the Red Team was enhanced in one way or another. Together, they were a force to be reckoned with, a force that seems to have become indispensable in the eyes of the High Council. The captain just tended to abuse that fact, and one day, the mechanic feared that they would all become very dispensable indeed. As the scimitar broke through the clouds of the green, the northern citadel came into view. It stretched far and wide across the entire hemisphere and was a literal universal hub of activity. There were thousands of spacecrafts of various shapes and sizes plastered across the greenish-red, cloudy skyline that itself was impaled by buildings taller than the naked eye could see. The structures disappeared up the billowing clouds and became visible again at random points in the skyline. Down below, billions of life forms from the far reaches of space resided, living, dying, creating, and certainly destroying none more than the man that they, the Red Team, answered to. M, said the captain, appearing behind him. Sir, how are we doing? I've been told we'll be docking at the main northern temple. Straight into the lion's den, then. We might be all right, said the doctor, appearing behind the captain. Because? Because we have the senator. A senator we technically kidnapped. If we get her to do the talking, make demands of the High Council, demands that don't put us in the firing line, which the High Council have to follow through with, seen as she is their diplomatic guest. We've never had a Crozian official planet site before. I'm sure the Council will be delighted to accommodate, whether or not she's disgraced. I've heard worse ideas, said the mechanic. How long have we got? asked the captain. We'll be docking at gate 599 at the northern in six minutes. Maybe more, considering the speed of this stupid escort. Good. That gives me time to brief the senator. You're sure as hell not doing it without me. I really, really am. No, you're really, really not. You're just gonna flirt and flex. I do not 
flex. Yes, you do, sir, said the mechanic. That settles it. Come on, Cap. We're on the clock. The captain sighed and followed the doctor out of the cockpit to rejoin the senator at the broken conference table. Sleepers. <laughs> Sometime later, the northern citadel lay under a blanket of darkness. The nightlife had commenced, the various cultures, their pleasures, fears, vices and demises all blending together, along with the constant air traffic, into one indecipherable mass of sound. Indecipherable for all but one, the dark pale doctor. He was standing out on the balcony of a penthouse-like structure, living quarters that sat on top of the cylindrical skyscraper that was the main Northside High Council Plaza with a view of the violet mountain beyond the reaches of the city. The High Council insisted that Senator Braxos be their guest for the time being, given that she was in exile from a planet descending into turmoil. Sure, it was nice of them, but the Doctor saw past that. She had something that they wanted. Information, most likely. Otherwise, she would have been thrown in a holding cell, along with them, along with the Red Team. No question. The Council loved to kiss ass, Braxos was carrying something, that was for sure. But what? That's why he was out there on the roof, listening to the buzz all around. News of the senator's arrival had no doubt spread among the citizens, and there would be people who wouldn't take kindly to a Crozian senator suddenly appearing planetside, laying her head right above the northern temple chambers. Yes, the senator would be safe from Crozian attacks, for now at least. But what about here? This wasn't a perfect world by any means. The Doctor wouldn't be surprised if somebody tried something. Some splinter cell or black ops group. There were plenty of them, and there were plenty more smart people out there, in that ever-widening and darkening city. People motivated by money and blood. The Captain was still having words with the High Council, so the Doctor thought it best to leave him to it. The High Council weren't afraid of the Captain. The Doctor, however, didn't have that luxury. The Doctor listened, hard, but nothing jumped out, at least not anywhere near him. A word, a phrase, something to indicate a possible move, and he had to hurry before the High Council kicked them out again. The Captain caught the Doctor's eye through the window of the penthouse, and minutes later, the two of them were sitting opposite each other on zero-gravity chairs yards away from where the senator rested. The mechanic was now the only guard left outside. He didn't look happy. The doctor began to spin on the zero-gravity chair. So, where's the rest of the elite guard? I thought they were taking over. There are two inside the main hall of the senator's sleeping quarters. They'll also be posted at the entrances and stand guard on the rooftops. They were going to swarm the place until the boss man stepped in. He graciously thanked the Senator for seeing us as heroes rather than kidnappers, and convinced the Council to let us carry on guarding her, since we apparently extracted her from a war zone. That wasn't a war zone, it was a tea party. I know. Pathetic. Why does the boss need us to stick with this? I told you, these are dark days. I feel strange about this. You always feel strange. Stranger. She wouldn't tell us what she found on Croesus that caused her to single-handedly, it seems, collapse the government. But it seems like something that would be worth a lot to more than just Croesians. She did say it had the ability to tear down worlds. Then she turned into a walking faucet, the doctor said. You think somebody here wants what she has? Why else would he have sent us? I don't know. Exercise? He once sent us out on a two-week run to bring back some space ooze. That was special, space ooze. It was still just space ooze. We nearly died 23 different times speeding across that quadrant. We got chased by those Sunblade cruisers. Hmm, <laughs> good times. I love racing bounty hunters. Not when their ships are designed to withstand the heat of a goddamn supernova. Anyway, the doctor said, holding up a hand. You think she has ooze. What? I'm turning your example into an analogy, darling. 
The captain glanced over to the senator's temporary quarters, then back to the doctor. He lowered his voice. Yes, I think she has. Ooze. She effectively burned down her whole world's political infrastructure, starting an orchestrated war in the process. And we're just sent to rescue her? Pull her out of it, and now the council are treating her like royalty. She has elite guards on lookout, and us right outside the door. And not only that, this entire planet is a safe zone. The Red Curtain. The Red Curtain. It just seems a bit much. Did you get anything out there? The doctor shook his head. Nothing yet. If we were down in Southside, it would be different. It's not as loud. Tell me about it, said the captain. Northside is almost impossible to blanket. We just have to stay close to her until this is resolved. How do you resolve a civil war that broke out last week? Asked the doctor. I don't know. Follow orders? Good one. I didn't even know it was a one. How long has she been asleep? Not long. Why? If someone is going to attack the chamber penthouse, they won't break in from the ground. The trouble with all this grandiose bullshit is that there are plenty of ways in if you're coming from above. We'd see a ship coming. Not if they're using black market cloaking. That cloaking floats a load of crap. It won't get past the plaza force field without being detected. Then the only other option? The doctor paused, slowly turning his head in the direction of the sleeping chamber entrance. The mechanic was standing there on high alert, but it was difficult to hear anything through those walls. What's the other option? Did you see which elite guards were posted inside the chambers? No, said the captain. Are you thinking? Sleepers, the two men said in unison. The term they used for rogue operators within the High Council's elite guard. It was a common occurrence which just served to highlight the terrible state that the planet's security was in. The captain glared at the doctor. What? the doctor asked, cocking his head and smiling. A smile that never ceased to disarm the captain whenever he saw it. What do you mean, what? Do your thing. I do a lot of things, Cap. You'll have to be more specific. That fly-on-the-wall perspective thing. Or just probe one of the guards. Why don't we just go in? We can't just burst in there. Not if we're wrong. Now shut up, close your eyes, and concentrate. That's an order. Ooh, mon capitaine. Don't. The doctor sighed. Fine, fine, but don't blame me if there aren't any insects in there. I can't probe the sleepers directly because of their stupid new headgear. They're probe-proof as well as total fashion disasters. Fine, just hurry up. The doctor closed his eyes. What do you see? The doctor bristled. That I have around six extra legs in there. I hate spiders. Shut up, I'm on the ceiling. Then look down. What do you see? A sleeping senator. Sleeping or dead? Sleeping. What about the guards? The captain saw the doctor cock his head to the right ever so slightly, and he could almost imagine the eight-legged creature on the ceiling changing direction to survey another part of the senator's room. Then suddenly the doctor shot up, eyes wide with alarm, immediately hurtling to where the mechanic was still standing guard. Commander! Move your ass! The mechanic spun around, automatic weapon pointed downwards as he attempted to open the door without success. The captain drew his firearm, preparing for battle as he followed close behind his friend, who was also preparing by drawing two short, black, narrow-bladed combat swords from either side of his metallic belt, his signature weapons. His hands became in sync with each other as he twirled the blades to point behind him rather than in front. Elite guards wouldn't be easy to overpower so he would have to go on the defensive, most likely distracting them so that the captain could pick them off at close range with his signature weapons. A matching set of silver revolvers, housing rounds more than powerful enough to penetrate the elite guard's armor. The door still wouldn't budge, so, shouting for the mechanic to move, the captain overtook the doctor, bringing his shoulder forward and launching himself into the air. The captain's immense strength connected with the ancient double doors. The force wasn't enough to knock them down, but rather break the lock that was keeping them closed. The doors sprang open, and the captain hit the ground, just in time to see what the doctor was so alarmed about. The two masked guards were standing at the foot of the senator's large bed. One of them had a weapon pointed directly at the senator's chest. The Crozian herself was suspended in mid-air, clearly terrified, 
held in place by the anti-gravity beam that was emanating from the larger of the two elite guards. The other was facing the double doors, and so he had plenty of time to react as the doctor sprang up into the air, using the captain as a height booster. This caused the captain to hit the floor again, clunking his head. Oh, come on! The captain growled as he witnessed the doctor's two blades clash with the ceremonial combat staff that was standard issue for all the elite guards. The guards themselves were well trained. They had to be, as they were mostly charged with protecting the council members themselves and other important figures. As the two men battled, the captain made for the larger guard, who was pointing another firearm at the captain's chest. The larger guard had had time to draw a second gun thanks to the delay of the captain recovering from his fall. Even so, the two guards were outnumbered. There was a sound of automatic gunfire, and the hand that was holding the larger guard's second gun exploded, making the large humanoid cry and whimper in tremendous pain. Ouch! The captain grunted as he fired a shot into the guard's leg, then jumped into a graceful turn and slammed his right leg into the side of the guard's helmet, sending him flying off of the raised platform that the bed sat atop. He hit the wall to the captain's right, and the captain turned to see the mechanic's smoking gun. He was about to thank him when the doctor careered into the mechanic, sending them both flying back through the open doors. The mechanic rolled to the side to give the doctor a chance to recover. It seemed the more slender of the guards was a larger threat thanks to his speed. The doctor returned to his feet, changing his strategy and deciding to go on the offensive. The captain raised his gun to point to the slender guard. Do you need me to- Nope, the doctor cut in. Are you sure? I've got this, the doctor said, as he took advantage of his hyper-agility and leapt into the air, turning the sword in his grip so that it was pointing directly at the second guard. The doctor brought his right arm back and launched one of his combat swords in the direction of the guard's chest. However, the guard was ready for this, and brought up his worn staff to bat the sword away. As the staff and the sword connected, the doctor saw his chance, now grabbing the sword he was still holding with his other hand and sent it slicing downwards as he landed. The guard had been too busy worrying about the primary attack and hadn't been expecting the secondary blow, a blow that connected with the guard's left arm and sliced through it completely, armor, muscle, and bone. The blade was now embedded in one of the guard's ribs, and what remained of his arm was gushing blood, spattering the doctor's dark pale face. Yeesh, said the mechanic as the guard began to scream. The captain was so busy taking in the amount of green blood that was soaking the ancient marble floor that he failed to see the larger guard that was now on his left raise up and pull a knife from behind his back. A knife with a golden blade. The captain did hear the senator cry out in warning from behind him, but it was too late to block the knife that was now flying through the air. It embedded itself in the captain's shoulder, and the force behind the throw sent him flying to the side. The senator screamed again as the captain rolled several times on the marble floor. He grunted as he hit the skirting, and he looked just in time to see the one-handed guard making a break for it towards one of the large, open bedroom windows. The mechanic fired his weapon, narrowly missing the determined guard. There's a ship out there! shrieked the doctor. He was right. There was a standard elite guard craft hovering stationary below the open window. They were fast, so, one-handed or not, as soon as the guard landed that jump, the craft would blast off into the near-distant city, joining the air traffic and making it impossible to track in all the nighttime mayhem. The captain was now crouched on his haunches, between the guard and the window, waiting for the perfect moment to take the guard down before he began the dive outside. The guard, however, had another knife prepared to throw, which forced the captain off balance as he dodged the incoming blade. Above the captain now, the guard began the dive to freedom. Thanks to the guard's height, though, he did have enough time to grab one of the guard's legs as he hurtled out of the window. The guard's weight also helped, as it was enough to pull the captain upwards and outwards to the craft below. They both hit the hull with a crash, and the captain could see that there was a third guard waiting to kick the boosters into life. The one-handed guard launched his foot into the captain's face, forcing him backwards and nearly causing him to topple off of the craft. He just had time to grab one of the rear spoilers, and he now hung there, attempting to pull himself back up with no success. Cap! came a voice from above and behind him. The doctor. They caught each other's eyes as the boosters sprang into life, sending the getaway pilot, the one-handed guard, and the captain off into the distance, speeding towards Northside Central at a tremendous pace. The doctor hung his head and sighed with irritation. Nice one, Cap. Real nice, he said, as he and the mechanic witnessed the ship blend into the distant traffic. The doctor turned and sped past his commander. And where are you going? he asked. The doctor turned while running. Where do you think? You'll never catch him. 
The doctor scoffed. <laughs> oh, ye of little faith. He ran past the still-bleeding, one-armed guard on the floor, stopping to remove his second sword that was still embedded in the guard's upper ribcage. He turned to the mechanic. Keep an eye on this twat, weasel, he said, sheathing his sword and setting off again. He needed a ship, and he needed one fast. As he ran, he called back to the mechanic. If he dies, Commander, I'll kill you. <laughs> Out in the near distance... Further into Northside Central, the captain clung to the spoiler hard, cursing to himself as the G-force increased. He was strong enough to fight against it, but the guards weren't oblivious to their stowaway. The captain's immense weight in itself was an obvious strain on the speedster's engines. One of the rogue elites in the cockpit must have activated the ship's defensive systems, as there was a sudden arc of electricity originating from the underside and travelling in the direction of the rear spoiler. The captain felt the shock arc up and down his body. The pain was dampened enormously, but it did cause him to let go of the spoiler. Fortunately, as they were travelling rather quickly and joining the massive air traffic on all sides, the captain did not fall straight down. The G-force had forced the captain's lower body upwards and back, so he was held in a flying pose, which meant when he let go, he went flying backwards into a public transport shuttle behind. Luckily, the pilot of the transport was exceeding the speed limit, so the captain was held in place momentarily against the front of the transport and supported by the speedster's engines in front. In that time, he managed to flick his right wrist to activate his grapple wire. It fired with the force of a gunshot, connecting with the same rear spoiler that the captain had been hanging from seconds earlier. Putting his feet flat against the outer hull of the transport, along with a lightning-fast weight shift from his upper back to his lower legs, he pushed off the transport, which at that moment decided to blare its horn and veer into another lane. Thanks for the boost! The captain shouted as the transport overtook him, and the enemy ship increased in speed. The guards had made the mistake of putting the ship on autopilot. They wanted to focus on getting rid of him, by firing their automatic weapons, which the captain had to rapidly dodge as he was carried past the various windows and floors of the buildings either side of the fast lane. The faster the ship got, the higher the captain rose, giving him a better view of the two guards firing at him, using his right hand to hold him in place as much as was possible at this speed. He aimed one of the revolvers and fired two shots. The first bullet hit the shoulder of the getaway pilot, which caused him to lurch to one side while still firing his own weapon. This sent his spread of bullets through the one-handed guard first before escaping out into the open air. The force of the pilot's accidental automatic fire sent the one-handed guard flying off of the open top speedster, creating bizarre, impossible shapes with his broken body as he tumbled through the air narrowly missing a few ships on the way down. The second bullet the captain fired hit the console to the right of the pilot, causing it to reboot to account for the damage. The reboot, however, also caused the autopilot to shut down and return to manual control. This meant that when the pilot weakly clutched his shoulder, dropping his gun as a reflex, and fell to his right, his body came into contact with the central joystick, forcing the speedster to the left and careering into another small speedster in the left-hand lane. This caused the enemy speedster to suddenly slow down, which sent the captain flying round anti-clockwise in the air. As the captain prepared to hit the cockpit sideways on, he extended his grapple wire slightly, to give himself more room to manoeuvre if he missed. He didn't. Instead, his legs came into contact with the pilot's face, and the captain now lay across the leather seating of the speedster. He disconnected the grapple wire from the rear spoiler, and sat upright in the ship. Luckily, the person the speedster crashed into veered off into another lane, and the ships behind him weren't close enough to be a problem if he acted fast enough. He held his gun in his left hand and took control of the ship with his right, picking up speed in this lane and then also veering into one of the lanes closer to the left-hand side, meaning he could slow the vehicle down and maintain it at a steady pace with one hand and interrogate this whinging elite pilot with the other. The captain put a bullet in one of the pilot's legs, then cleared his throat. I would really, really like to kill you. But before I do, I'd love to know what the hell you were doing outside of the council chambers. In basic tongue, the pilot rasped. We are standing guard. The pilot's voice was distorted, deep and artificial. The captain laughed. That's not going to fly, my friend. But you are. Right down into Northside Central. Maybe you'll land on something rather pointy. 
I have very good aim, as you can see from your shoulder. Or you can tell me why those guards sent to protect the senator tried to kill her, and then I can shoot you in the head. Either way, I am so going to kill you. We needed information. What information? Information about Crozian biology. Why? Someone wants it. Who wants it? Someone important? The High Council? I don't know. You're gonna have to do better than that. The captain fired another shot into the pilot's foot. He screamed in agony. We weren't trying to kill her. We were extracting her DNA. With an anti-gravity beam? We needed to reposition her to get a better sample. And did you? I don't know. I was in the ship, remember? You killed the only two guards who were in the room. Does anyone else at the Elite Guard know about this, other than the unit that you were assigned to? Not that I know of. That's not helping. The less we all knew, the better. So I wouldn't imagine anyone else knew. So what does this important person want with Crozian DNA? I have no idea, Captain. You know, as well as I do, it's never been cataloged before. We've never had a Crozian planet side, much less a female Crozian, who I hear have a larger amount of rarities within their genetic makeup than the males. And you brought her here. You and your bizarre doctor friend brought her back here, behind the red curtain. Whatever happens now will be on your head. You've led us all into uncharted territory. Well done, Captain. At that moment, the captain heard a click. He looked down to see the pilot who pulled the safety pin from the singular grenade on his belt. The captain didn't have time to react, and the grenade erupted. The skies of the gray. It was incredible how much a humanoid body could achieve while acting on autopilot. Having the ability to almost completely disconnect his conscious mind from his body, leaving that to his subconscious, the doctor was able to analyze all of the information he had learned since the boss asked the red team to go on a rescue mission to Croesus, a planet that the doctor had spent some time on during his solo days. The fact that he couldn't read Croesians made it more difficult. Usually he could read other sentient beings like a book. It wasn't a gift he relished, but a gift he possessed nonetheless. It had become second nature to him now, and he hated that, white and hot. Being able to hear everything, notice everything, it was so loud, so noisy. And because of that, Croesus was where he was able to find some degree of peace and quiet, a place where he could recalibrate and listen intently to the silence all before the boss man had called him back behind the curtain, back to an eternally crimson planet's surface, thanks to a scorching red sun, the sun that lies and the moon that laughs.
The boss had called him back to help curb the planet-wide crime surge, along with the rest of the team, most of whom had chosen to remain planet-side, in the familiar. It was clear that whoever was in charge of the rogue elite guard unit wanted the senator for something, and if that someone was prepared to start with a rogue unit, they weren't going to stop there. The doctor had just finished that thought before realizing he was sitting in an open-top speedster. He must have found one, or stolen one. He chose not to remember that part. He preferred a great deal of his past to be multiple choice. He was speeding past the skyscrapers now, the fast lane on the right-hand side. He set the speed to automatic, closed his eyes, and listened. Listened out for the voice of his friend. The heartbeat. It wasn't easy at the speed that the doctor was travelling at, but he couldn't afford to go slow. In his head, the doctor overtook himself, travelling at a faster pace than any speedster or starship would carry him. He listened out for gunfire, something that was somewhat obvious even in Northside Central. He could make out four separate gunfights in close proximity. That's Northside for you, the doctor said, inwardly. He knew what the captain's gun sounded like when it fired. It was unmistakable, and the doctor himself had helped design and build it. Two shots, a second apart, automatic gunfire, screaming. The doctor slowed down slightly, switching into the left-hand lane to let a speedster behind him overtake. The captain was close. The doctor then heard the sound of a two-ship collision and deep, throaty cursing. Ah, there you are, my dear, the doctor said, now spotting the out-of-control speedster a couple of hundred yards ahead. As the doctor drew closer, he began to listen. All the background noise fell away, as if the doctor himself was sitting in on the interrogation. He took the words in. One part of the conversation jumped out at him. The point where the captain had asked whether or not the rogues had got what they came for. The DNA extraction, the anti-grav beam, they would likely be using the gun to stabilize and scan her simultaneously. If they had extracted the DNA and broadcasted it out to a specific location, no. It was an extreme extraction technique. The sample would have to be delivered manually. It would have to be physical, so they needed to secure the gun. The doctor put a finger to his right ear and pressed down, activating his communicator. Commander! Can you hear? Before he could finish his sentence, there was an eruption a few yards ahead of him. The elite speedster was now in multiple pieces, tumbling through the air and causing collisions above, below, left and right. The debris nearly took the doctor down, but it was a near miss. He knew that the captain would be okay. This wasn't his first explosion. All the doctor had to worry about was catching him. Luckily, the doctor had positioned himself perfectly after dodging the speedster debris. He floored the speedster into a rapid descent and used the built-in targeting system to align the speedster with the captain's ever-decreasing altitude. Narrowly, the doctor overtook the captain on the race towards the ground. The captain looked flustered, but in control, and he managed to grab onto the side of the doctor's ship, using his strength to pull himself in, the weight of him nearly pulling the speedster off course. Careful, the captain said, with force but also with a grin. You're welcome, Dick Thistle. Did you just call me a dick thistle? Never mind, you're wee thistle. We have a problem here. Yeah, the captain nodded. The anti-gravity gun. The doctor raised his eyebrows in feigned surprise. Oh, so you're not as stupid as you look. Do I look stupid? You always look stupid. But, despite just having had a grenade blow up in your face, you look none the worse for wear. Just slightly singed. We need to get back to the temple. Can you get a hold of the commander? He was supposed to be watching over the senator. The captain nodded, activating the communicator in his ear. Commander, come in. Do you read me? There was no response. Commander, can you hear me? The captain and the doctor exchanged glances. Floor it, the captain said. That's an order. Far away, there was another conversation taking place over at Earpiece Communicators. Only this one was two-sided. Do you have it? Yes, sir. I have it.
good. Bring it to me. Now. What of the commander? Incapacitated. And the senator? The same. Bring in a cleanup unit to ship the Crozian over to cryogenics. All I need is the DNA sample. Permission to speak freely, sir. Granted, Lieutenant. What about the captain and the doctor? They're going to find out. The doctor never misses anything. It just doesn't happen. This will be the last straw for them. They'll grab the commander and go rogue. They'll cross over. The leaders of the red team going rogue is bad for all of us. They're more than just dangerous. That they are. And I'm sure they'll fall off the grid for a while. Years even, that's to be expected. They'll be there for the curtain call though, Lieutenant. Don't worry about that. Sir. What? Are we really crossing over? Yes, and we'll have a bit of leeway. Leeway, sir? Crossing over means time displacement, Lieutenant. This was all explained at the briefing. By the time everything starts to happen, and the rest of the planet knows the truth, the humans won't be fighting an invasion. No, they'll be leading a failed revolution, a futile resistance. We've written their histories for long enough, just like we wrote yours. But now, Lieutenant Hannington, it is time to write their futures. <laughs> ha 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 ha